Welcome to Finding the Line. I am your first host, Ben, who is a Virgo, born in the year of the Fire Tiger. I am a 9 wing 8, based on the Enneagram, and an INTX, according to Myers-Briggs. I am a people-focused eye on the DISC software, and I am a natural relator and an adapted analyzer, according to Lead From Your Strengths. Uh, my temperament is type phlegmatic, and I am a Ravenclaw, and according to the latest Disney princess test that we just did, I am Mulan. Nice. Well... I am the second host of Finding the Line, Nathan, who is a cancer, born in the year of the sheep, Enneagram 7, Wing 6, Ravenclaw, on the Myers-Briggs, the ENFP, and on the disc, a blend of inspiring, supportive, and dominant traits. My temperament is sanguine, and my Disney princess is Rapunzel. Nice. And I wonder what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking about personality tests. Hands up in the air if you have ever taken one. (laughs) I've got got two hands hands up. up in the air. Two hands are up in the air like we just don't care. What was like your first sort of like introduction? Like, you know, what was... Was it like the quizzes that came through on Facebook or emails in the beginning or was it like something more serious or more serious? So when I was in high school, they got us to explore the different learning styles. And so we talked about the learning style hats. Like, are you a person who likes nature or you person's more logical or you person's more inward or socially outward? And that was quite young. I think I remember learning about different learning styles probably as early as year one. I have very early memories of being in the library and they're talking about different learning styles and how do you learn? So it's not the, it's, it's a type of test to do with an aspect of, I guess you can say personality in the context of learning. That was my first introduction. What, what about yourself? I think the first one that I can remember doing was the disc personality test at church. Like the whole church did it. It was big, hey. Really? Yeah, the whole was, church. The whole church. We all did personality test this disc personality test. There were sermons around it. Yep. There were sermons the whole deal. around yeah, yeah, it was talked about the on Sunday disc morning. Personality test. Yes. Wow. Okay. And I would love to know what I typed back then because I just had to redo the disc test for my current job that I have. That was like the employers got us to to do the disc test. This is fascinating. Which is really interesting. It was actually really interesting reading the current one of that because sometimes reading these things like, oh man, that's a little bit too close for comfort. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, was, it was on point. Actually reading it, there was stuff that was in that. I'm like, oh, knowing what I know from Enneagram stuff it clicked in really well with what I was reading from the disc result. Mm. But anyway, I would like to know what I got back then because it'd be interesting to see what the change is. Yes, Um, yes. And it's been interesting. I have heard about the corporate phenomenon of personality testing. Though in my experience, it's it's been very minimal. Yeah, really? Very much so. However, I, I kind of learnt more about personality testing... I would say moving towards the end of high school, I just had this fascination with wanting to, quote, to learn more things about myself, end quote. Mm-hmm. 
And that's when I started looking at like the Myers-Briggs, yep. for example. The DISC one is pretty relatively new to me. Yeah, Because I right. just hadn't, hadn't done it. I'm not sure if there's a comprehensive one. Mine only had like 12 questions. Is that normal? I can't remember, actually. The one I did online, I feel like it had a lot more questions than that. Yeah, okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so but obviously this is a big thing in, in not only the corporate world, but also in people's lives in general. Yep, yeah. I mean, even if you're just doing a test to see what Harry Potter house you're a part of, mm-hmm. uh, it all counts as a form of a personality test. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So what was like, I guess, like the... Even though you said what one you early connected with... Mm. Um, has there been one that you've found to be the, the most helpful or the one you've connected with the most and what was like the journey around that for, cause I know for myself, uh, my experience was, uh, when I started pastoring, we did one called leading from your strengths from what I understand that's quite popular within church, uh, circles. And then my professional coach did Myers-Briggs with me, which was interesting in that. Cause I never actually did a quote unquote test. He just asked me a bunch of questions and got to know me and typed me based on that, which I really liked. That's better. That sounds like a good way of doing it. It was actually, um, and I learned a lot about myself and leadership styles and things through that. Mm. But it wasn't until afterwards that I got into, uh, got into the enneagram, learnt about the enneagram, mm. and I have, I've probably stuck with as far as like found it interesting for the longest stretch of time, for my life personally. So yeah, and we can talk more about that if we if we fall into it. But sure. yeah, what about for yourself? Yeah, so for myself. And we'll talk more about this, but I do want to set the context. I have very, very mixed feelings about all these personality tests, mm. um, including my experience with the Enneagram, which we'll get into. Nonetheless, taken purely as a tool for growth, I find the Enneagram to have been a very helpful tool for myself. And for me, using the aspects of growing in, quote to your number, quote, is something that I've used and has actually changed my life in a lot of ways, Mm. actually. Um, Learning to slow down, learning to be present, learning to be thankful for the here and the now, learning not to get caught up in the whim of things or believing the grass is always greener on the other side. These are good pushbacks to the otherwise tendencies of what they would call a, quote, Enneagram 7. So I found the Enneagram to be very helpful for myself personally. That's the one I found most helpful. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I definitely echo the the cautionary warnings mm. on that as well. So one of the things is I'm part of like an, an Enneagram 9, mm-hmm. um, what I pretend to be. So I'm part of a group on that on Facebook. And it's really great. You've got a bunch of people who kind of think similar to you. We have memes that all match mm-hmm. um, what we're doing. But... There is a certain level of that where it's kind of like, oh man, that's really typecasting. Like there's certain aspects. So part of the um the idea of the nine is this idea of the peacekeeper and the person who will sort of like lay down their own desires in order to keep the peace. Um, for myself, that's a really shallow understanding of the nine system. And when I see stuff that sort of really typecasts people within that personality grouping, I guess, to just be like these lazy people who are just complete pushovers i'm like ah oh, that's such like not a helpful way to talk about this agreed um and these personality tests can often do that they can often start putting people into boxes and then start playing the yes. up down rating game based on you know oh you're a nine so you're like this yeah so i'm always very very cautious of that sort of stuff mm. and that's been my 
I guess you can say love hate relationship with somebody like the Enneagram. That on one hand, the 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 love of it is that I do find it extremely helpful. The angst for it has to do exactly that, um, putting people in the box. Mm. Ironically, when I say that to people, it's like uh, the only thing I do. There's a couple of things I don't like about the Enneagram. One of them being you put people in the box. The irony is that they all agree, and yet they still go, "Oh, that's such a seven thing." Oh my goodness! That's oh, the that's worst such a X Y Z thing. I mean, first of all, within the rules, quote unquote rules of Enneagram or the understanding of Enneagram, you actually can't judge that because it's not about behavior. It's about motivation. That's right. So that's the first reason. <laughs> yeah, and I actually loved. Um, uh, I was reading the Sacred Enneagram by Christopher uh, Huritz, mm. which is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend reading it. But he makes the comment that we should never typecast anyone. He's talking about Enneagram into their Enneagram number, but I would say mm. it's true of any personality type because what you're dealing with largely when it comes to people's identification with a personality is something that's quite deeply integrated to themselves, uh, dealing mm. with their base fears and their expressions of desires mm. and hopes and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So when you walk up to someone and say, hey, you're a seven, mm. you're actually casting something like, on a spiritual level, and I don't mean that in a ooh sort of way. Yeah, you're not like not like a you know, know health, wealth, like prosperity, gospel, no, but in no, the no. opposite. I mean that in a deep, connected way. Mm. You're psychologically, actually, you're putting psychologically something there, boxing someone down on a very deep level. Um, mm-hmm. And so when and I know it can be really fun. We're like, I've done it as well, especially with Myers Briggs. We did it, and I've done it with Enneagram as well, unfortunately. Where we're like, all right, let's just go through everyone in my family, and I'll decide what they are. <laughs> <laughs> who do you think this person is? What do you think this person is? And looking back on it, it's like, it is so unhealthy to better do that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's, and it is a power play as well. Absolutely. One of my favorite philosophers, who I'll probably requote this again later on, Soren Kindergard says, once you label someone, you negate somebody. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, and I think that's my my biggest pet peeve with, not just the Enneagram, but I think a lot of these personality tests is that, as you're, you're right, when you kind of say you're X, Y, Z, it, it limits somebody. You, you, you put, put them in a box. Yeah. And then you can only see them in terms of that box as well. And it's also your own self-construct understanding of what you think the box is of them. It's like, oh, that's what a seven looks like. That's right. Therefore, this is how I'm going to interpret all your actions based exactly. on the behavior, quote unquote behavior of a seven mm. or a nine or, a, or yeah. a whatever number. That's right. And so that's why I, and you'll hear it more and more, and hopefully you'll understand it deeper as we talk, mm. why I will say I pretend to be, um, or <laughs> I <laughs> act or present as in, say, a nine. Yes. Um, that's that's the act I perform. Yes. That's not who I am. Mm. So I intentionally do my very best and never say I am a nine. Yes. Uh, or I am an INTX or whatever. Sure. Like, because I am not those things. Mm. Um, mm. I pretend to be those things. So you mentioned you <laughs> connect with the Enneagram the most as of late? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the one I've found to be... I, I think I've just found it to be have the most depth mm. um, in it. In that, So I really did enjoy Myers-Briggs. I thought that was quite interesting in its quadrants and the way it sort of boxed things out quite nicely. Mm. Um, and there was there was a certain level of depth there, but... The Enneagram is one where I found like just the more I sort of read about it, and it does seem to have captured the most amount of research mm. uh, around it as well. And it's the only one that I've really come across that instead of dealing with, it's not about the way that we act, it's dealing with 
what are we, I guess, reacting to? What are our base fears? Yes. Um, and wants out of life, and then dealing with how that then expresses. Mm. Um, so when you're dealing with something that's a lot more core level than that, and then also then linking that with triads about how, like, we express as a whole being through our heart, body, and mind. Mm. Um, and then we lean more towards one of those things and then others just like it's i guess i found it the more i've sort of dug into it the more interesting and deeper i've found it to be useful yeah um and when i say that um useful in providing language on deeper and more meaning levels meaningful mm. levels so mm. i guess i've stuck with it the longest yes. in that sense. Yeah. yes and if you're listening to this going what do we, what do we mean by triads and numbers and enneagram yeah it gets complicated just do some <laughs> It it seriously is some just some basic googling. There's a there's a website. If you were to type in Enneagram Institute, that's one that kind of gives a very that's a good one. Good yep. overview of the Enneagram and the different numbers and what it means. And like I said, if you're up for a book, Sacred Enneagram is actually incredible. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dig it a little bit deeper. Sure. Wh- what do we mean when we say because obviously we have this whole concept that we're testing our personality mm. but what is it we're doing there or what is it we're trying to achieve like what is personality mm. what is personality you start Ben <laughs> for me I really like the analogy that Alan Watts gives in that personality is the mask that we put on that creates us as an individual way um, within the world around us. Mm. And so that's not to say that that is fake or unreal in any way, um, but rather it's the way that we play life based on the scripts that we've been given by our society and our culture, the expectations that we've grown up with in family life, Mm. Um, and also survival strategies we've learned in response to certain stimuli and stresses and um, situations that have happened in our life. Yeah. Um, so it's not to say that those traits aren't real. They are very real. They are real masks that we wear, but they are not who we are at our core. Um, so for me, I use I like I, I often wondered a lot throughout my life, like if I was born in India, how different would I be? Mm. And mm. I do think there is a core aspect to me that would have certain similarities, whether that's based on genetics or something more than that. I sure. don't know. Sure. But largely my scripts, my beliefs, my um, outlook on the world and values and morals would be completely different. And mm. my personality would almost be a completely different person mm. with a similar tint, I would say. Sure. But that mask would be completely different because it was built in a different place. Yeah, absolutely. Different yeah. different scripts that are offered in different cultures that get handed to you as, as opposed to like a Australian Western society. Yeah. Yeah, there will be aspects to yourself um, which will be quite different, which of course raises the whole question of nature and nurture, perhaps a different episode for another time. But it's it's intriguing to think just how much what makes personality is shape-shifted by the peoples, the culture, um, our upbringing, and the like. In terms of personality, you, you mentioned the word mask. I think that's what the word, if you actually look at the the origin of the word personality, I'm pretty sure, 
it has baked into its wording that of wearing masks. Yep. So, yeah, the Greek masks that were used in stage plays, which were a way of like projecting a personality um, out into the crowd, were called the per- uh, prosopons, yep. which is where we get the word person from. Mm. Um, so this idea of something that we... Uh, again, it's that idea of an act that we play at yes. um, within the context we find ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I I would like to, to think that talking about personality, especially in relation to personality tests more specifically, that trying to work out our personality is like digging a hole at the beach, putting water in it, and saying that's the whole ocean. So we might even look into the small watery hole that we've made at the beach, seeing our reflection and say that it's us. And I think we do that because it feels safe. We like control, even of ourselves. Um, However, personality is a mask. Then what if we are like the ocean instead, full of waves and tides and that isn't to say that what's not that what's in the hole isn't a somewhat ish reflection of ourselves, but I would say it's not the totality of ourselves. And that goes back to the whole idea of personality being that of a mask um, that doesn't take into account the complexity of life, especially as it relates to personality quizzes. I really like that imagery as well. And this is like calling back a little bit to the conversation we had last time on The Good Place with Chidi's um, whole thing about the wave. Mm. The wave was an expression of the ocean, but obviously the ocean is a much bigger thing than the wave in and of itself. Mm. And, you know, you could even take that deep, deeper <laughs> to say that the ocean isn't the ocean, it's just water located sure. in one place. And the only difference between the ocean and a lake is, again, the place it sits, whereas it is essentially the same thing. So the thing that that gets me there is like, if we are just these expressions, then there's this deeper core of us that is similar. Like there is a similarity between all of us, not so much in who we are as quote unquote people, Mm. but who we are in essence, I guess. For me, like when I read about Christ and Christ being, especially in what Paul writes in, uh, sorry, in Colossians, that Christ is all things and in all things and of all things that the Christness of all creation is that connectedness, mm. that deeper similarity. Mm. That's why I love the term. Uh, if you've ever done yoga, namaste. Uh, it's not just yoga; it's obviously a much bigger thing than that. But the literal translation of that is, uh, "That which is in me sees that which is in you." It's yeah, the right. Co- idea of this commonality, mm. um, and that's where personality tests can be operating at a completely different level and almost against that concept because if we start saying we are our personalities or we are our persons, Mm. then we have to build a concept around separation and segregation between people Mm. Um, because if we go, the wave is the person, then you have to say, well, that's a wave and that isn't, so thus they're different. And you have to start building boundaries and lines between those things in order to define things. And those things are helpful but I think it's, for me anyway, in my understanding of who I am and who we are, it's, I find it unhelpful in the sense of knowing that, well, understanding that connectedness between me and you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would probably make some distinctions 
in, in some sense, I, I get what you mean. How I used the analogy was purely to go that the ocean's complex, mm. uh, the ocean's deep, whereas personality or and specifically personality tests is like trying to take a small portion of that, the complexity of a person and trying to contain it into a, 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 a puddle. So that's perhaps what I'm more so meant by the analogy of an ocean. Oh, for sure. I just hijacked it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like a conversation I had about two months ago. So I was at this monastery, this Eastern Orthodox monastery, and we started talking about pers- personality and personality and identity, which I actually think are two distinct things. Now, he talked about in terms of personality, in terms of observation of oneself. Um, so keeping the image of like the ocean being the complexity of what it means to be both a human being collectively, but also a human being in terms of who you are, but not being able to contain it, right? Um, he said this, he, he called it an apathetic approach to personality, which, by the way, for maybe theology nerds, the word apathetic, it's a whole approach to theology that's not about naming things, but allowing the namelessness of things. Oh, I love that. Science Mike talks a lot about this. Yeah, well, it's the, uh, yeah, because I guess it's working on the base understanding that. So, like, when I say that I feel happy, mm-hmm. that actual feeling that's happening inside my body, heart, soul, mind mm. is something that's 10,000 emotions and things happening all at once mm. and then i boil it down to two syllables that yes. is the word happy yes. as if that somehow expresses the totality yeah. of what i'm feeling it's almost like taking that that ocean and making a little puddle again it's exactly it's, it's... and you couldn't communicate without the puddle mm. Mm. but it's also a woeful expl- explanation of what's going on it yeah. would so almost honor the situation better to say nothing yeah so so an apathetic um Theology, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to personality in a second, but it's just worth giving a bit of the primer. So an example would be saying, God is love. Then you say straight afterwards, however, God is not love, for God is more than what we can understand of love. And then the third layer is to go, God is not not love. So it's this whole negation of of that, but you have to go through the layers. Yeah. Now, Whereas truly so, it would be better for us just to sit in silence and experience that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, with personality, so the Eastern Orthodox approach to personality as it relates to to Christian faith, so the apathetic approach to personality would be to say, I'm kind of paraphrasing our conversation I had with, with one of the monks, and he said, when it's that, he said this, that life is not about self-expression, but self-giving love. And as you get so caught up in the outward expression of love, you might then on the far side of that step back and observe that you've been crafted to love in a particular way. However, in that very act of observation, hold on to it lightly. Observe who you are if you choose in how you love, but hold on to the observations lightly. Don't ever rush and say, that's who I am. Because... As Soren Kindergard says, and I said before, once you label yourself, you negate yourself. Um, and I think that's kind of an important 
kind of ebb and flow here. It's it's these personality tests and observation of one's personality in general. I got we got to hold it lightly because even as we do the act of love and of the act of of self giving love and observing perhaps a mannerisms to which are being observed, we can never go, oh, that's me. Because, and I've experienced this personally, right? This is where I've taken personality to to the extreme of unhealthy, right? I've gone, oh, as an off-distance observation of myself, I see that I'm a very fun and joyous guy. Okay, but if I then say that's who I am, that's once again taking the ocean, making it into a puddle, because what if I don't meet the standard of my own self-imposed standard of I'm the funny guy. All of a sudden, I'm putting shame on myself. I'm going, ah, I'm meant to be happy because that's who I am. My personality is the funny guy. And I think there's something so um, contained, perhaps is one of the right words. I'm, I'm thinking of a stronger word, almost like a slavery to this idolatry of self. Um, that when you fail it, you feel shame. And it's like, what would it mean to realize, yes, the puddle can be important, but to hold on to the puddle lightly and always look up and see the ocean. And the journey of life is to learn to rest in the restlessness of the ocean as opposed to trying to be a self-imposed somebody. Definitely. I think that's a really interesting point to make when we talk about identify or like identifying with something Mm. i think that is like the power of these personality tests for the large part is because they provide language and i and i read somewhere that they said personality tests don't actually tell us anything more than we already know they just provide language for it um that's my Mm. summary of the the concept so you can quote me on that one um (laughs) so and that provides us a really great social experience um, mm. as far as, okay, cool, I have an, a way of understanding myself. I feel a connection with that. I'm able to box that down in some way and have language with it. And it is important, like we were saying, to have those puddles in this analogy. Otherwise, we couldn't share it. Mm. Otherwise, mm. it would just be an individual yep. experience. There's a conversation there. You could obviously go the other way and understand the connectedness of the ocean but it's a different level of spirituality, which we'll get into in a minute. So obviously, once you have a sense of identity, then you're able to form a community around that, find like-minded people, people who connect with that well. Mm. Instantly, you can start to create a tribe. <laughs> um, tribes are great. Tribes provide us with safety, feeling of belonging, and all these sorts of things. And I think that's, again, where the power of these things come in, is you do your test online, and you're like, cool i'm part of the club i'm part of a club clubs have boundaries clubs have in and out Mm. clubs have helpful things that help us to move through this life in a protected safe way Mm. but ultimately segregate us apart from each other yeah because we've become so identified with that and when i say apart from each other and i don't just mean that in a me and you sort of way. Yes. I mean that even within ourselves. So we 
pedestalize the concept of the personality that I'm meant to be <laughs> mm-hmm. or the person I'm meant to be. Mm. And suddenly you can't even match up to yourself unless you're talking about that shame. Yeah. Where you'll never meet the version of yourself in the mirror that you have concocted. Yeah, totally. Like, I'm meant to be this super peaceful guy or I'm meant to be this super fun woman or mm. whatever it is. Mm. And this is where I get really cautious when we start talking about sexual identities and those sorts of things as well because we start making our gender assignments our identity and i get really cautious with that because we are not any of those things those are things that we live with and work with and all that sort of stuff but the moment we start to assign too much to any one of these things we'll never meet that standard Mm. and so we'll always lower ourselves based on that Mm. and i like what you said about personality tests when done well can be an identifying tool for ourselves and then for others to then create a tribe and i think you would also agree that on the flip side as we've seen and observed that can also be used in very toxic ways um using personality this puddle to to judge others or as we've both both observed in ourselves to judge ourselves and so it can, at its, at its worst, it could be a form of control, whether it be that, that, that idolatrous control of like, um, well, actually, let me take that back. I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with one. Here's what I would say about personality tests, right? Just to make it a bit more level. Personality tests can serve the good purpose of grounding us. They ground us. It makes us go, ah, oh, okay, there's this... There's a, there's a calm collective sense of of traits within me that are observed, and that I can now understand. Oh, good. The key is what we then do with that. Do we use that as a form of self slavery, i.e., meeting the standards that we said? Do or do we just use it as an observation that we hold lightly and then use the tools of growth in order to to change for for the better? Um, I think that's worth being mindful of to hold on to these things loosely, loosely, because even with the tribalism, it can, at its worst, be a form of control, the control of of the other as well, um, to put people in the boxes as we've we've talked about. And the thing is, when we do that, so in its worst form, when we do that, we're not we're not loving the other because love doesn't put people in a box. Because that's containing somebody. That's not letting someone be the free ocean that they are, full of the complexities. Mm. It's it's saying, oh, that's who you are, and we're going to put you in that little box. And I think that's problematic. Yeah, completely agreed. So I think we're basically sort of pushing into this area already of like the idea of what can we learn, or what can we take from this idea of personalities mm. in regards to our spirituality. Mm. Because as we both sort of communicated back at the beginning, we've both had experiences in religious and church communities where these are quite common things. Yep. Uh, like I said, I experienced disc being preached <laughs> from the front. Yeah, wow. Uh, and my experience from that has always been leaning in on that uh, segregation, grouping, you fit in this group sort of situation, which... And again, I, I would never want to be negative of church, but I am critical um, that 
religious communities tend to work that way as well. Ha! Mm. Um, religious communities and personality tests have a lot in common. <laughs> they do, yes. In the sense that they provide that sense of identity, provide a group, provide a purpose and meaning to your life, and provide language for the thing that you can't quite understand. But as we've said, we have to live in that tension of going, the moment we put wording on it, the moment we define God, the moment we go, I have this figured out, is the moment we let it slip through our fingers. Mm. Is the moment we go, all right, I pinned it on the ground. And this was a gross challenge that was given to me when I was talking about, you know, if you've listened to our episode on heaven and hell, I gave a fairly succinct sort of position that I was taking on that. And part of it was because we're having an argument and I took a side. But that was basically presented to me for me to say, well, this is what I believe it is and I figured it out and I'm going to live it this way, is for me to actually have lost the mystery of it Mm -hmm. and me to have given up. I guess even to say I've given up given up the spiritual aspect of it. Sure. Because um, I pinned it in... Like, again, I took took something deep and put it in a puddle. Yeah. Um, and made it very shallow. Mm. When I should be going, I can't, under, I can't comprehend the ocean. Mm. Mm. Um, even though this is my little... A way of understanding it. Mm. And so, for me, when it comes to spirituality in these things... It reminds me that the best I can do is try and communicate something. Mm. And that's just my way of... I had the image in my head of like having a kite and then like holding the end of that and pinning it into the ground Mm. and then moving over to the next kite and pinning that down as well as if I was somehow holding big ideas out there Mm. Mm. and having markers on the ground to kind of go, all right, if I pin enough of them down, I'll have a large picture. And it helps in one way, but at some point it also limits the capacity that I have to appreciate the infiniteness of it all. Mm, mm. And I need to be able to cut those ropes as well. And mm. going to go, I don't know. <laughs> mm, mm. And it, even with personality tests, it's important to kind of go, as much as I have all this language to understand it, I also don't know who I am. Because the moment you think we know who we are is the moment we, again, we stop growing. We need to die to these things constantly in order to move forward in our lives. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of where I land on that. Hmm. I think there are aspects I would see eye to eye to. There are other aspects I would probably take different worldview paradigms. So, for example, the idea of the not knowingness of God. I, I would say for myself, just as a starting point... I like how St. John of the Cross puts it, where he says, to know God is blasphemy, but to love God, we can, and love becomes its own form of knowing. So I would say there's a type, of, a type of knowing in, in God, and I would say for myself, I put that in Jesus. I would say Jesus to God in, in the incarnated Christ, that is Jesus becomes close and so therefore knowable. So it's not complete mystery. However, Jesus is the ocean. Jesus is that to which I, the infinite of the personality of 
of who he was and who he is is so complex, but that doesn't mean it's unknowable. Yeah. I like how Richard Rohr puts it, where he says, mystery isn't not knowing, but endless knowing. Agreed. Yeah. And it's like, and I just want to jump in because I want to like yeah. put my spin on it. Yeah. <laughs> put your spin on it. In that I would agree with everything you said, except I would say Christ is the ocean and Jesus is as much Christ as we all are. Yeah, we would disagree. We'll have I to do another episode on that. <laughs> um, so, but in terms of what I want to say about the spiritual aspect of it for myself, with personality tests, they have been helpful when I use them as suggestions that come with them in order how to grow. So slowing down, reminding myself that the here and now is good, for example, with the Enneagram 7. Um, but then what do we do with them? I do with what my monk friend said. Observe it, but hold it loosely. In an act of open-handed observation, in order to learn how to better love. To love God, love neighbor, creation and self. And, particu- and p- particularly of how we are to love better. Sorry, the particularity of how we are to love better um, as learnt through a test, it gives us the recommendations for growth. And that's how I would put it. And I would agree with church communities that church communities with personality tests, when done in not-so-good ways, it simplifies that which is complex. And I would say it's because we don't like the messiness of the complexity of life, let alone human personality. You know, why live in the ambiguity of it all when you can learn someone's number and then know how to best relate? And as I said, I think when we do these things and use these tools as tools only, rather than turning the tool into the toolbox itself, um, yeah, I don't think it's wrong to want to simplify things somewhat. However, we have to leave the room for the infinite to the mystery of the person before you. Like... Um, we've talked about in previous podcasts on love and as Pete Rowland says where he talks about the TARDIS from Doctor Who the TARDIS does have shape and form but the TARDIS within the but within sight within the TARDIS itself it has infinite dimensions and you can't contain infinite dimensions you can't contain the ocean and so when it comes to the spiritual aspect This is where I probably would want to make a distinction between personality and identity. So personality, I would say, is a mask, whilst identity is about who you are. And the first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about this was The Lion King. So you have Simba with the complexity of him wanting to be king. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Here's uh, a Kuna Matata moments. And he's wrestling with his past. And yet, that scene where he looks up into the water and then looks up to the sky. And there's this interplay between what's being mirrored in the water, but then also what's being observed in the sky where he has his identity. And that is, remember who you are. Mm. And I love that. If It's... For me, it reminds me of Jesus at his baptism. Um, oh, that this is my son, oh. to whom, to who, it, who I am well pleased. And what would it mean 
to go into the waters of baptism and to see baptism as a type of identity um, and thus a distinction between personality and identity. Um, so, And it goes back to what you were saying as well with... Sorry. Sorry, it was like <laughs> literally blown like my mind. I have this picture uh, and go. forgive the comedy of it, Yeah, say but it. it also is making me cry. Yeah. Of Jesus being the Christ in the river mm. looking up and Mufasa in the sky looking down mm-hmm. and saying, remember who you are. It's oh, my no. best James L. Jones. Yeah. Remember who you are. You are my son. Yes. And then he says that to all of us. Yes. I know. <laughs> and you actually touched on it before when you were, you might not have been aware of it, but you were touching on it before when you were speaking about like, if you grew up in India, there might be a tint of you that might still be that of the complete, that of the ocean that is Ben, but beyond that of personality and that of identity. Um, so I would say that there is, at least with what I believe, a unique image of Godness crafted into each of us that uniquely captures a side to who God is, but that isn't to be pursued, but rather that's to be lived out in the act of generous trust that I am loved. Um, I like how Jesus puts it, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Amen. Um, Funny enough, Tim Keller, who I have mixed feelings about, actually said something really good about this when he said, um, the Greek word that is translated life in that whoever tries to find life will lose it, whoever loses life for my sake will find it, is the word psych, meaning self. Jesus is talking pretty radically about the psychological inner life. I want to lose, I want you to lose yourself, he says. Lose yourself to find yourself, which means I want you to die to your old approach to identity and personality, I would say, and get a new sense of individual self. Um, I don't think he's going the Eastern way, but he's certainly not going the Western way either. That's what I would say. Sounds fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what would be, I kind of love this. I kind of like, I feel like the line that we, Mm. we discovered tonight, at least for myself. Yep. Was the, that line between, what we can't know and what we can say Mm. in that personality testing Mm. and even our spirituality Mm. is that wrestle between love this ocean concept, Mm. but even to say universe, Mm. something infinite that is incomprehensible Mm. yet the TARDIS really works yet surrounding that, we can have words to at least make it workable mm. to make us connect with others mm. Mm. and find similarities and meaning in that. Mm. Yeah. Wow. How about for yourself? Yeah. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to say more profound. I think that's really good, Ben. Ditto. <laughs> because it's a Pokemon. Yes. <laughs> I gathered that. <laughs> Which is a badass Pokemon, because that can like transform into other Pokemon, right? Yeah, pretty much. Can they use their same powers? Uh, yes. Does that not make it some of the one of the most powerful Pokemon? I mean, it can morph into a Mewtwo and into all the. Ancient- yeah, but then like, so keep in mind that you're it's always, <laughs> it's always versing what it sees. Interesting. So it 
it matches. Sure. But, so not necessarily ever succeeds. You know what's funny is that you could actually link this to personality. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) And perhaps a good way to end it. Maybe, maybe. Or I might just edit this out. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well... Uh, go out there and find your favorite personality test and find a way to express yourself in new and amazing ways mm. and share that with all around you. Do not tell other people what they are or are not. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, realize that your small way of pinning yourself down is a beautiful expression mm. of your infinite self. Yes. Oh, oh, damn. That's good. Tweetable right there. And... And when you do a personality test, comment on Facebook or Instagram telling us what tests you would recommend for fun, of course, because I know I think it would be a lot of fun to get so many more BuzzFeed quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Send us your favorite ones. All right. Well, we love you all. Uh, keep well. Uh, like, share, all this sort of stuff. Comment. And we will see you on the next line. We will. <laughs> on the next line. Yep. See you on that line. 